Looks like we're live. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Guest Beer Podcast. There's no way the microphone's picking that up, <laughs> Lucas. <laughs> well, if it keeps moving, I think we're good. Um, pretty, pretty sure that's a song in the background, which means we cannot upload this to YouTube. Yeah, we, we may get cut a bit for this. So, um, welcome to episode 13. We are at, where are we, Cameron? We're at Pints Brewery in Old Town, Chinatown, downtown Portland. Um, uh, it's kind of a little, I don't want to call it a hole in the wall because it's not really that, but it's this nice little brewery kind of near the train station. Um, been here a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been here a long time. I actually discovered it because I was taking the Bolt bus. Are you familiar with Bolt bus? Yeah. Uh, so it's the cheap bus. Very, very cheap It's the comfy bus. bus, too. It's got the Wi-Fi. It has the Wi-Fi. It has uh, outlets. Um, it's way better than Greyhound. But it's really, really cheap. And um, their stop is not far from here. And I was waiting for the Bolt bus, and I looked on their little app how long I was going to have to wait. And they were an hour and a half late. And I'm like, well, fuck. What do I do? <laughs> and um, I put brewery into <laughs> into Google, and this place popped up, so... <laughs> and I came here, and I, I've actually really liked it. It's a nice little location. They have outdoor seating, which is nice. It's right on major bus routes. Um, you kind of gotta walk through a sea of Old Town to get here, which can be unfortunate depending on the time of day or night. Or I, would, I would not recommend coming here at 2 a.m., but... Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. No, I, used to, I used to live in this neighborhood... Um, it's fine. Yeah, I actually went to a boxing gym, like, two blocks away. And that was cool. Came here for a pie before that class one time. Didn't do that again, but... Was that a real boxing gym, or is that just the lot next door? <laughs> I, I will say it's a legit Portland City Boxing. Highly recommended for anyone who's aspiring or just wants to bust some mad cardio. Cool. There's yeah. also the uh, the Chinese Gardens is like right mm-hmm. basically next door. And that's actually really really nice. Um, I wonder if they're doing anything for Chinese New Year. That's coming up. I don't know, but you know who is Disneyland. Disneyland's doing something for Chinese New Year. Yeah, a uh, big Mulan thing. So that's, oh, okay, uh, okay. I'm going to Disneyland on Wednesday. So flying down Wednesday afternoon. It's been a couple days there. Fly oh, back Saturday. You're going down to Anaheim. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I go. I went to a conference that was at the hotel, like, next to Disneyland, and it was kind of funny because everyone was going to Disneyland, and I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I mean, except for the upfront cost, it's, it's a magical place. You get, like, they're really awesome, like, you pay up front, you get in, and then just everything is incredibly controlled and weird, but in a very cool way. I'm a fan. I was surprised at how small it looked from the outside. Like, <laughs> like it, it takes up, like, I don't know, three Anaheim City blocks, which which are gin- ginormous blocks. Like, I being from Portland, where we have like these tiny, tiny streets, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, you can walk, each block takes like under a minute to walk by. In Anaheim, it's like a 15-minute <laughs> mile. Each each city block is like one square mile That's or something That's why you got crazy. the monorail. Exactly. Yeah, I haven't been to Disneyland in a long time. I, I regret not going in Hong Kong, actually. Because it's supposed to be kind of fun. Or um, Tokyo. That would have been nice. Yeah, we were really there also when they... I think we were there right before they do their um, Halloween thing, which is supposed oh, yeah, to be really yeah. cool. And 
Yeah, that would have been kind of cool to go to. And the Tokyo one is like not an official one, and so like they get to do like kind of some weird stuff too, because it's all licensed from Disney. It's not actually Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we should probably get to what people actually listen to this podcast for. Actually, right. I have no idea why anybody um, listens, but I assume you're here for the beer. As are we. So, so what are we starting with here, Lucas? All right. So, uh, <coughs> I don't know what we're starting with. Um, these are. This is an interesting spread. I'm, I'm not sure which the best one is to go from the start. So, I'm just going to list off four and we'll go from there. Okay. So, first up, we have the uh, Punkelweiss. This is a Dunkelweiss recipe with real pumpkin, candied yams, and pie spices. Light spicing, warm and inviting pumpkin, pumpkin in this. And a nice malt and ester profile. Are, right. are we assuming it's this one? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Okay, okay, so. I can taste the pumpkin. <laughs> I can taste the pumpkin. And. Ooh, I like it. It is definitely pumpkin y. So, um, what do you like about it? We're a bit bit far from pumpkin season so it's nice to have a bit different um i like the, i like the off-season beers i like drinking christmas beer in the summer but um you know it's still winter right <laughs> well i'm not saying now <laughs> so no it's good like i i think the spicing is actually really good um other times i've had pumpkin spice style beers it's been a bit overpowering the spicing but this is actually pretty subtle you just have some good strong pumpkin notes and um, I think that this is the recipe that makes me actually uh, like the Dunglevice. I think it, I think it pairs really well with the type of beer this is. So one reason you come to downtown Portland is is the characters you see on the street. Somebody just walked by in a suit with a crown that said Sauce Boss on it. So free entertainment. Um, yeah. Okay. So as far as the uh, the Punklevice. Um, I'm surprised how much I actually like this. I usually find these types of beers to be kind of gimmicky and um, overpowering. This is nice and balanced. Like you could drink this any time of the year. Uh, it's it's really it's a very well well done seasonal beer. Okay, um, do we know what the next one is? I don't think we do. We we do. Um, okay. Well, we're actually gonna change this up a bit. From okay. Our previously established order. So okay. um, next up is, I guess what I've been calling our control. This is kind of our the go-to one that we can actually claim some kind of experience on. Uh, Northwest style unfiltered IPA. And before we read those notes, let's just give it a shot. Okay, so the seismic IPA. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an IPA. It is. Um, it's kind of um, kind of a sweet candiness to it. So it's definitely within the um, the Northwest IPA uh, family in that the bitterness is pretty is, is there. It's has kind of a harsh back end, I'd say. But it does have a bit. Maybe that's this is the unfiltered part of kind of the New England type, mm -hmm. type thing that that seems to be popular. It's a little sweeter than, than kind of your average IPA. It has I like think. zero citrus too, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what's bothering me about it actually. Um, it's it's kind of without the citrus, I feel like 
this type of IPA is a little too overpowering. Mm-hmm. Kind of need that citrus to kind of like like lessen the the bite. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not not a bad IPA, uh, but I'd say that this is definitely for people who like IPAs that are not citrusy, which is a little rare. So, what's your um, guesstimate on the IBUs for that? Seventy. Yeah, I'd say about seventy. Uh, 77. Hey. Oh. <laughs> we know something, apparently. Alright, and uh, in terms of tasting notes, Dry Hops, um, Columbus, Amarillo, Cascade, and Simcoe Hops. Makes sense, it's kind of yeah. some staple. Um, uh, I would say, like, mainline hops. They're not, they're not particularly bright, they're just kind of a solid bitterness and dryness to them. Yeah. Next up, we have a Ripsaw Red Northwest style red ale. So when we got here, somebody at the bar said the red was good. So we have at least one endorsement so far. So yeah. far. Lucas does not look impressed. Um. So the thing about reds. You like reds more than I do, I think. I, I used to like reds more, and I've kind of shied away from them. Because I think that one of the things that I don't particularly... That, that doesn't really grab me is, like, caramely notes. And I feel like reds are a concentration of the caramely notes. Like, they, they don't have much of a front. And then they just kind of have, like, a, a really, like, kind of a rounded caramely body to them. That... I think it makes them smooth, but not not really my favorite. There's definitely bitterness to it, but it's. I guess I get confused by reds. All I can say about reds is it tastes like a red. Like I don't think I can like deconstruct what a red tastes like. Um, it has caramelness to it, I guess. What's the the IBU on that one? Sixty. That's a, that's so, kind of hyper red, isn't it? I think so, yeah. And and this is a uh, this the tasting notes they have are woody, spicy, piney, and citrusy. I don't think I taste the citrus. I don't taste the citrus. Um, I get the pineyness. And piney's there. Yep. Yeah. Kind of the spicy. A um, little, a little. Otherwise, caramel and chocolate malts. Um, I, I think chocolate malts are pretty interesting. I definitely taste that. I think that that's yeah. probably a fixture of the reds that I've haven't really got too familiar with but that's that's i think what it is it's starting to like really associate with i I think i think the chocolate notes are what's putting me off from this because i don't i'm just not a fan of the chocolate taste Mm -hmm. i'm weird like that and so like i don't not much a fan of of that particular one Um, okay so we're at our last beer four gnomes this is a belgian quad Quads. Now we were talking about quads earlier, and you said that they weren't real or something. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a bullshit term. Usually, it, it's a the th- the thing is when you're looking at like Belgians, um, the double triple quad thing doesn't actually mean anything. So in the case of something like a double IPA, what you're talking about, you're talking about like double the hops, double the intensity, double like the gravity, just kind of like double the ingredients. Um, when you're talking about like a Belgian, like a double is generally considered 
the term used when a brewery and all the Belgian breweries have been brewing beer for like 1600 years have eventually got a second recipe going and so that's their double they're like second one in line um the triple is a bit different in that from what i've read it's the doubles tend to be a bit more um full-bodied the triples are more golden kind of a clear like a lighter flavor i actually quite like the triples uh, but they're they're interesting the quad as far as I know, there's only like a couple of different companies that do this quad, and it's just, it kind of supposed to match the same flavor profile, but it doesn't really have any specific markers other than resembling one another. I feel like we're going to get a lot of email on how you're wrong about all of that. We welcome the email. We will read it. Well, the mic might not be on for that part, but we'll read it the next one. You want to start us off? Okay, yeah. So what's the name of this one again? The Four Gnomes. Four Gnomes Quad. Huh. Actually, I think I like it. Let's take his time. Oh, uh, that'll <laughs> put you down. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was pretty smooth. It's smooth. Um, it's It has a quality that's like... A, it's very pretty high ABV. So this is 9.6%. Um, 9. 9.8. 9.8. I mean, we might as well just call that 10. <laughs> it's uh, it, it reminds me a lot of like a barrel aged. Not because of the... It doesn't have that oakiness, but it has like a certain like really rich intensity to it. So the way that they describe it, a magical blend of European malts to go with Belgian candy syrup and spice, German hops along with proprietary gnome yeast with fruity aromatics we hope you enjoy drinking it as much as we enjoyed brewing it um you know usually these belgians i'm not too fond of i like this one what do you like about this so it's smooth yet fruity and boozy that's basically what i'm looking for in a drink i get like a general fruitiness but i'm not getting any specific fruit out of that no so i don't no. know what the actual fruitiness that gets associated with these is it, it does come across as kind of like like random jolly rancher yeah. but okay <laughs> but it's boozy and drinkable it is It'll, definitely boozy this would be a great uh, fireplace drink in like nice, nice snifter glass this is what people in the 20s drank with cigars while discussing why this women is port for vote. people who don't like port. Oh, I hate port. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> port is disgusting. But this, this is delicious. All right. So let's, shall we rank them? Okay. Um, I, th I think actually, like, the uh, the hierarchy, we, we did correctly in this order. Well, I think you're right. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So... Let's go, what was our first one here again? Uh, the Punkelweiss. Punkelweiss. Pumpkin um, Dunkelweiss. So, I was I was very impressed by this one. Um, it, you know, it's not overpowering, it's, it doesn't feel gimmicky, it's just, it's a very solid beer that has kind of a pumpkin, kind of thanksgiving um flavor to it. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I quite liked it. Um, I think that the, very well balanced, as you said, it often comes across as gimmicky, and in this case, it's it's just some solid pumpkin deliciousness, which I'm quite a fan of that flavor. 
the it definitely has the seasonal aspect. So, so we have yeah. like one, two. So we have two seasonals here, and then two of their core beers. So the IPA and the red are core. Ah, okay. I guess obviously the uh, Belgian quad and the and the Punkweiser are a bit seasonal. And I, th I think that that's probably the right spread. Um, I I'm not sure I could drink more than about this taster's worth of the the four gnomes in a sitting. Like I like it, but boozy fruity. It's good to be limited in those quantities. I I have to think that they serve you in like the eight ounce class on that one. Like like that. Oh. That's pretty intense. Um, what did so? Okay, not my favorite IPA. It's not my favorite. It's interesting in the, the lack of citrus. Yeah. Um, makes me kind of curious about it. Like, I think it, t it tastes like an IPA tasted five years ago. Like, yeah, I think that that's yeah. something that, and that's fine. That's like, that's a trend that has changed. Um, and it's a shame to me, like, riding that train so hard because I, I'm liking citrus notes, but it's, it's pretty solid. It's a solid IPA. Um, I would say that it's not for everybody. But I think if you like IPAs, you're going to appreciate it. it. Might not be your favorite idea at the end of the day, but it's it's not bad. And the red, I think uh, I think we both weren't so much a fan of the red. Right. Um, I'm trying to figure out what is the what's my favorite red. I do not have a favorite red. I would say that this is up there as far really? as they go. Really, really interesting. Yeah, I think the chocolatey nose just turned me off. Yeah, well, I get that. Um, I do think, though, that a lot of reds do shy towards the sweetness, probably to try and, like, kind of tamper that chocolatiness. And I like that this isn't. Um, I, and I, I don't want to, like, harp on the chocolatiness, because I don't think that this, this isn't super chocolatey. It's just, like, kind of this undefined underlying current. In that case... Yeah, I'd agree. If we were going with the chocolate metaphor, I'd probably say it's closer like a mole than it is like a chocolate bar. Yes, yes. But yeah, it is more like that. Oh. Um, okay, so as far as my personal rankings here would go with the Punkle-wise, being, being, being the top. Like, that, that is just a surprise. I was... We need to stop switching the order on these because our rankings go bottom, top, top, and bottom, depending on the show. But. Oh, no, no, totally. Uh, so someday our... Our um, delightful audience will tell us what we should be doing. Um, we'll some, have a QA someday. checklist to show us, like, format, but it's cool. So, okay. Dunkelweiss, number one. Um, I think number two goes to the quad, quite honestly. Um, I really like it. I'm pretty impressed. I was, I was again, not expecting it to be very good. Quads, triples, quads, like, like all the ones I've had in the past have just been almost barley wine-ish, like, crazy... Um, just the alcohol tends to be really intense, and it tends to taste kind of crappy. This one is nice and smooth with that boozy and fruity taste that I just, I just really like. So if I was, I think, I think the Punkelweiss is a better beer. If I was to come here again, I think I'd probably get the Guad. Okay. Then I, I figure the IPA, it, it's a, it's a solid IPA, so it's probably, probably the third on this fourth list for me at least and then fourth goes the red but i'm not a fan of reds so so what do you what's your your ranking yes try the quad one last time to see 
Uh, I think I've seen Ditto. Um, I, 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 I would regularly drink the Dunkelweiss here. Um, I quite like it. I, I would say that's almost a toss-up with the Four Gnomes. Partly just because I, th I think they're both quite, quite good in their class. I'm, I'm pretty impressed by their seasonal beers. I'm, I'm kind of wanting to try yeah, I mean, more now. Maybe we got to order the other five on this list. I mean, the core ones were, were fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with either the IPA or the red. If you like IPAs or reds, you're gonna be just fine with either of these. Um, but their seasonals, I'm, I'm very impressed by. Yeah. Maybe. Oh. Uh, I think we're. Yeah, we'll, we're, we're we need to figure that we're out. Good right now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I actually had their awesome sauce, uh, which is a New England style IPA. Before we started recording, uh, it's it's a it's a pretty good New England style IPA. Um, so basically, if you want those citrus notes and kind of more fruity um, IPA compared to their core one, that's a good one to go with. Um, I would put it as, as far as New England style IPAs go, is pretty par for the course in the ones that I've had. Yeah. Um, a lot of juicy notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Late boil hop additions, so you get a lot of aromatics. Hops. Um, it's listing a 50 IBU here. I actually think that might be, I thought it was closer to like a 40, 45. Um, maybe my taste buds have been burnt out on too many IPAs, though, so who knows. Um, Let's see. Uh, the only ones that we haven't had on here are the milk chocolate porter. I'm going to think that that would not be a beer that I would particularly enjoy. And the poppy scotch, which actually I was kind of curious about. But... And the imperial amber. Oh, yeah, the imperial amber. I missed that one. Oh, 10%. Wow. Wow, that's... 10% of 40 IBUs. Huh. Huh. Let's, so this is 32 IBUs on the um, four gnomes. Okay, well, so, I mean, to just kind of sum, sum this up, I'm pretty happy with this place. Yeah. And, it, and it's a quick max train ride from my office. Huzzah. <laughs> um, so, I guess that, that concludes the beer portion of this podcast. And Chapter marker. <laughs> chapter marker right here. If I can remember how to do that. We'll see. Um... So I guess uh, if you do not want to listen to us ramp, ramble and rant about other things, you should turn this off now. Or go buy a Casper mattress. Our new sponsor, Casper. No, we don't have a sponsor. Sorry. Someday. Someday we'll have a sponsor. But until then, you only get to hear it pretend to read you ads. Yeah. Then it'll be the real thing. Brought to you by Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Yeah. Go ahead. Archer Carbon. I loved it. The... The newest um, hunk of Netflix sci-fi that I, I guess I'll just have to say that like I really I really like the feel of Netflix shows purely because they are, feel so much more international and like multicultural than so many other tele so much other television I watch I don't watch that much television but so it's, it's incredible. It was interesting uh, Sensei, which we both yeah. liked, um, which unfortunately got canceled, but. One of the reasons it got renewed for a second season was because of how popular it was internationally. And it is totally a show that 
I don't see Americans liking. <laughs> like, it's just not that type. Uh, it's something that I could totally understand why Europeans would be into. Like, yep. like, but yeah, Americans are too prudish for that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I, what I like about Netflix is that they really do seem to pick up these shows that are going to be popular on a global scale versus kind of like a regional local type thing. Right. Um, like Dark. Uh, I haven't, I haven't, seen, I haven't oh. seen Dark yet. Have you seen the Godzilla? I have not. It was really interesting. So I, I like that they're doing a lot of anime stuff. Like, um, I, I avoid that like the plague, but all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you avoid that. And actually, the anime selection as far as like the stuff that they funded has been kind of hit or miss. Um, although Voltron's really good. Uh, but Altered Carbon. So based off the... Very popular sci-fi book. I don't think either of us have read. Um, I I thought it was really, really good. It was almost... It's intensely violent. It's very over-sexualized. It is over-sexualized, for sure. Um, I think that the there is a legitimate argument to say that that is part of just the themes of the story. But it's hard to separate that out from just being over-sexualized and violent for being over-sexualized and violent. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like looking at, like, like Kill Bill. Was that overly violent? Probably. <laughs> or was that the story? I don't... Revenge. Kung Fu goes. It's, it's yeah, about on par. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a point there. Um, so, to, for people who have not seen this, it's a dystopian future where people don't necessarily die you're able to change bodies when your body kind of wears out or gets blown up or whatever um so it's set way in the future and our protagonist kovach is a um former terrorist slash revolutionary who was put on he was basically frozen for hundreds of years and they bring him out to solve a crime um to use the skills that he gained to solve this crime, and he ends up getting into this further intrigue of this new world that's a bit different than when he was put on ice. So, um, I really liked it. I thought it was an interesting exploration of inequality mm -hmm. and dealing with new technologies that turn the world to shit. So, which I think is what we're dealing with right now, which is a lot of inequality and technologies that everyone loves but might not be good for us you seem to have a different feeling on this, this yeah, show I, I, I was really excited for this show and I, I just there's just a lot of things that just don't quite mesh for me uh, I, I guess I was I was complaining earlier that I feel like it it's barely sci-fi and what I mean by that well okay to to explain why I think it's barely sci-fi is that the actual singular plot device of body switching seems to be almost the entirety of technological exploration they go into. They go into a couple other things like there's AI in the day-to-day -day life, but it doesn't actually factor in the plot that heavily. There are multiple planets, too, and they appeal to have some sort of faster-than-light travel. Which maybe we'll see. Not in this season. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, so so I think that one thing that kind of annoyed me about that is one of the one of the things I love the most about shows like this is the world building, and that is like a minor aspect of this show to the point where it almost doesn't need to occur. It focuses more; it's it's more focused on like a, almost like a detective noir piece than it is like 
a hard sci-fi story. And maybe the base idea of like the technology they're playing with, things like body switching and AI, I expected to have more of an exploration of the ideas of like who we are and consciousness and those things within the story, such as like Westworld or Blade Runner would actually get into. Um, and those are touched on, but they, the writing just doesn't feel like it supports that kind of plot. It seems like it's, like, I, I guess as you said earlier, it explores that and then just says, this doesn't really matter, and moves on. So it's like an element of this world that doesn't actually involve any kind of like deeper questions about who we are. So, so coming into it, you would think that, that something with so much body switching would really get into the whole mind-body problem and talk about that issue. And there's a, there's a part where one of the characters brings back a grandparent for a family meeting. And what I think that that scene kind of shows is that the, the show itself has decided that there is no mind-body problem. It's all mind. <laughs> the mind's the only thing that, that, that matters, and the body is interchangeable. Don't worry about it. And I think it just says that that question is uninteresting to us and resolved and don't worry about it. Um, so if that is what you're looking for, the show has decided that that doesn't matter. And, or at least isn't important in the context of the story it's trying to tell, um, which I'm fine with. I think in, as far as the world building goes, I'd be a little curious to know the publication dates on the original book because I feel like possibly between the time that that was published and now, the world has become more what this world is. When I'm looking at the... So set in, we think, uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I found kind of interesting in watching it was... I'm not sure how far away that is from modern-day San Francisco. <laughs> like, like, it definitely feels a little bit more like an Asian city like Tokyo or Hong Kong. Um, I would say, like, like the crowdedness and griminess of what I experienced in in Hong Kong is basically this show. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's... It, so it doesn't feel like... The problem with it feeling like it's not sci-fi is part of that, I think, comes down to it's kind of the world we live in. It's not that far removed anymore. Um, yeah, there's there's things about people living above the cloud line and 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 stuff like that, but that's not that different from living at the top of the skyscraper right now. I think one thing that's always kind of interesting about these stories is that they seem to they seem to seem if they explore something like class inequality, they bisect classes across like the entirety of like the civilization, but only certain portions of the technology seem to have that different, like distinction. Where somewhere like modern day San Francisco today has a bunch of people having their cars driving around with autopilot Teslas and Ubers and rushing around at a almost a, a much deeper separation than the people who are actually sleeping on the street in the Mission District. And so it's a bit less blended. Or like maybe the technology just hasn't quite gotten ingrained there in the same way. Well, but we see people in the show like riding bikes where you have these like flying cars so I think that's just because bikes will be around forever <laughs> maybe no but I think I think it's there it's just not as demonstrated maybe like I don't know um, there actually is more technological inequality uh, equality in the show than, than I would expect because like everyone gets this body switching technology so somehow like everyone was given this right 
even though it's not clear quite the society doesn't seem to be structured in a way that would have facilitated that. Right. That that seems to be like an interesting aspect. I was curious how the story or how how the actual books cover if they cover that at all. Yeah, yeah, that'd be uh, actually something I'd be kind of curious to know. I'm actually interested in reading the books now. Um, I haven't quite finished the series. You finished it. I'm still like two episodes out. Um, I, I the other thing that that attracted me to the show, and I don't think the show focuses much on, on these plot points, but it really interested me, especially at the beginning, kind of drew me in, was that the main character is a failed revolutionary. And I like seeing him come to, having to come to terms with the fact that his revolution failed and the world turned into what he was fighting against. I thought that was really an interesting plot point that I don't think we see enough of. Right. Um, and um, as we were talking earlier, I was kind of comparing it to, like, if you fought for the revolution in China, how do you feel about the fact that you're drinking Starbucks in Shanghai now? Like, that that seems troubling uh, on a whole bunch of levels. <laughs> and I'm kind of curious how those people feel. And even, I mean, there's all sorts of, if you're in the Arab Spring, how do you feel about how things have turned out in Egypt? Like, like that, th- that'd be very very disconcerting to or deal you with. voted for Trump and now you're disappointed at how it's all turning out. I don't know. Are they disappointed? I can't figure it out. Maybe they Depends wanted the this hellhole that our world's turned into. Um, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting idea to explore. And you're right. I don't think that there's many mediums that have talked about that. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if it comes up very much. It did come up a little bit in, there's a book, um, The Three-Body Problem. Have you read that? It's been on my list, but no. Um, it's... It's more interesting than good, I think. Um, but it does deal with these... It's set during the Cultural Revolution in China. And one of the things that pops up are people who were um, students who supported the Cultural Revolution dealing with modern-day China. It's, a, it's kind of a side note in the overall story, but you do see how these people who were like the... Not exactly the elite for the Cultural Revolution, but the vanguard of the Cultural Revolution being right. marginalized today. Mm. And and that that's kind of a weird thing where you were supporting, you were like part of this huge movement and end up marginalized. Um, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting idea. I think that probably should be explored more in stuff. Yeah. So I liked that part of it. The problems I have with it is poorly, it's a poorly written show. Like the dialogue is kind of cringeworthy at times. Not as bad as, like, Babylon 5, but it's... Yeah, I, I definitely found that to be a big issue, and I think that that goes back to my annoyance about, not, about unexplored paths that they could explore in, like, a, a world that's has some cool concepts in it. But the cringeworthy or, like, the, the fairly, like, stilted dialogue is a big part of, like, just not pulling me in. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's problematic. Um, it's overly violent, overly sexualized on a level that... They claim is for story reasons. I kind of see what they're talking about, but it, it, it the body count's a bit higher than it should probably should be for that. Um, and for some reason, no no one wants to wear clothing anymore. I don't I don't know why. Uh, whoever I, likes clothes. I, I guess in a couple hundred years, none of us will wear clothing if we don't have to. Well, Oregon's leading the vanguard in that regard. So. Well, I've seen a couple naked people walk by. Um, I think that's more of the opioid epidemic, but... We're still the vanguard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, man. Yeah. 
Oh. So what else has been going on in your life, Lucas? Um, I've been bringing this hobby home in the sense that I've been uh, doing some homebrew for a while now. So that's been educational, both in improving my knowledge of what we're doing on the podcast and remembering basic chemistry and things of that nature. So that's been fun. Yeah, it looks like a fun little hobby. Um, and if you want to do that, if you look in the show notes, we'll have a affiliate link to a hobby kit. No, we won't. Mike, we're going to have show notes. Ha. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, overall, I, I, I definitely recommend it. It's, it's something that is... Obviously, it could be a very large time sink, but overall, it's pretty easy to get started. Like, there's a... So, so there's the there's a homebrew subreddit. There is also a firewater subreddit for distilling, and then there is the third one, which is prison hooch, which is just huh. about making the cheapest alcohol you can make. And I honestly, I'd recommend even if you're just looking for beer, you start there. Start on the prison hooch end because it really helps you drive home an understanding of exactly what it takes to make alcohol, which is not much. And so. Finding the baseline there, because that's that's one issue I have a lot of time when you're getting into the, like, these hobbies and exploring new things, is figuring out the fundamentals, because they're often obscured from things like initial starter kits and whatever you do. And when you realize that all you gotta do is like drop like some baker's yeast into a jug of Welch's grape juice and then just come back in two months and you're good, you realize you really can't fuck up a batch of beer that easily. Like it takes it takes a lot to do that. And so, <laughs> try and just iterate, make it better. Kaizen. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd recommend that. I've been looking into doing some mead, and I would actually really like to try to do a sour, but apparently that's really hard. Yeah, that's like, that, that's one of the annoying things. Is I look at the list of beers I want to make, and they're like, oh yeah, all these ones at the end. Don't do those. It's like, come on. I just remember looking into making cheese, and like any of the cheeses that you want to make are like six month processes. <laughs> yeah, you can do like mozzarella like in an evening, but, but well, the, some cheddar. Yeah, that's gonna take some time. <laughs> well, the thing with sours is that you have the guidance they give you around like how to tell if your beer is infected and how to like if you if you get like some weird like mold growing on the top of your beer or something, you didn't sanitize your equipment well. You're gonna you probably shouldn't drink it. But you, you could be okay. All that advice is true in 90% of the cases except sours. Because it's like, it, it's, if it smells like this, don't drink it unless it's sour. That's probably <laughs> fine. And so it's just like, a, I don't know, if you watch like something like the Great British Bake Off, and it's talking about like baking a bread with cocoa powder, which everyone thinks is a good idea, but it's a terrible idea because you can no longer tell when it's burnt or when it's not burnt because you added a darkening agent at tw- which point you can't determine these things. No, that's the sour push. Yeah. Well. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I think we're, we're okay. I think that, that's good for the episode. Yeah. Okay. We're good. Out. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Um, well, thank you for listening. Um, I guess uh, if you want to talk to us, uh, do we have the Twitter yet? Did we, did we grab that? No. Yes. Yes. Yes, at some. Okay, if you want to talk to me, you can send, you can tweet at me at, at MolderC um, on Twitter. Or find us at guestbeerpodcast.com. Guestbeerpodcast.com. Check it out. Tell your friends. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you hopefully in a week or two.